Hello everyone and welcome to Saturn Returns with me, Kagi Dunlop. This is a podcast that aims to bring clarity during transitional times where there can be confusion and doubt. I wanted to check in with another member of the community and so we are going to hear a little note from Harriet from Nottingham. Hey Saturn family, my name is Harriet and I'm really, really excited because the new episode of Saturn Returns has just dropped. I really like to listen to the episode when I'm having a bath. It's an hour of self-care that I carve out for myself every single week. I know that I'm going to run the bath, have my candles and listen to the episode and just relax. So I hope you enjoy it as much as I do. Bye. I used to have so much guilt if I didn't feel exhausted by the end of the day because I thought, oh, well, I could have done more. I could have worked harder. And actually, I've had to really decondition this idea of working harder is not smarter. Working longer doesn't necessarily mean better work. Great ideas can sometimes come when you're walking in the middle of the rain. And life can't be as quantifiable as I was making it out to be. Today, I'm joined by former TV host, best-selling author, Forbes Under 30 and UN Global Goals advocate and British entrepreneur, Poppy Jamie. Poppy is on a mission to empower people to look after their minds and their health. And in this conversation, we reflect on how long we've known each other, which is a very long time. We were friends from 16, we were out partying together and we also were in LA at the same time. So we kind of reflect on that chapter of our lives. And what I found really interesting about this conversation was, you know, the importance of female friendship and Poppy explains how sometimes female friends have been the greatest loves of her life. And I completely agree with that. And also how to navigate entrepreneurship and business and I know that's something that a lot of you are experiencing and I love how honest Poppy was about the mistakes that she made and everything that she learned from failing and and getting things wrong but also from the outside like she's achieved so much so young she was way ahead of the curb with the wellness space she was doing it before it became fashionable let's say And I loved how she shared so much about those experiences and the successes as well. It was really fascinating to hear. Also, this notion of working harder isn't smarter. This is something that I'm trying to remind myself of. It's not about working harder. It's about working smarter. And she shares her own personal shift from the need to constantly work to prioritizing rest and discovering the art of unwinding. Hello, Poppy. Hi, Kagi. Welcome to the Saturn Returns podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm a big fan, so it's I feel like here. there's so much synergy between what you've created and kind of a lot of the sort of, yeah, the ethos of Saturn Returns and everything. And you and I have known each other. I came to your 16th birthday party. No, you didn't. <laughs> was that the one that was at yeah. the pheasantry? <laughs> So that's how long we've known each other. Yeah. Oh my God. That, to be fair, for a 16th, was pretty good party. It was an amazing party. <laughs> it was amazing. Oh, wow. I know. So going on a good 16 years. I didn't realize it had been that long. Yeah. And we also had LA. That's still yeah. in common. Yeah, I know. Well, this is what I find. Well, this is why I loved your book so much because I was reading your book thinking, oh my gosh, I remember crisscrossing you in that time and in that time and wow god I was feeling so many of those thoughts too and that's just what's so funny about the human experience is that we often are all struggling with the same things and yet we just don't talk about them I know because I remember seeing you in LA I think when I you might have just moved out there and I was maybe visiting was I having a breakdown (laughs) you seemed actually really like you loved it there and LA I think more than any place gives the impression that everyone's got their shit together but just underneath the surface is a different story but without kind of going too much into that for those that don't know you would you be able to explain a little bit about like the work that you're doing because I feel like you were so ahead 
of your time and so much of what you created. So I'd moved to LA because I was in television at the time and I was a TV presenter. So I moved out there to work with MTV and launched this talk show called Pillow Talk with Poppy. I where that. I and that it was, was so cool. It, and it was so long ago, it was like 2014. It was the first ever show on Snapchat. Nobody even knew at that time if anybody was ever gonna watch content on an app. And obviously the world has proven that we only wanna watch content on an app basically. But at the time it was so new and I was like, oh, I guess, I guess I'll do it and see if it works. And suddenly we had 10 million people watch this little show and Snapchat had built me this bedroom inside the office. And it was just a bunch of 20 somethings trying it out because obviously Evan Spiegel, the founder of Snapchat was 24 at the time as well. But what was so interesting about that experience was it connected me to so many people around the world. And it was a bit the experience I was kind of talking about when I read your book. I suddenly started to realize that actually everyone's lives felt very similar to mine. Um, the secret lives that we that we that we hold. And on the surface, if I looked on Instagram, it was really pretty pictures, filters, everybody having a great time posting highlights reels. And then on Snapchat, every message would delete and so there was this level of honesty i never actually went on snapchat but i remember in america it was humongous it was like the thing yeah. and so i used to get thousands of messages and there'd be people just saying i'm feeling really stressed i'm feeling really anxious i'm really worried about this i don't know what to do about that and um and my mother's a psychotherapist so i remember calling her up going well, what shall i what shall i respond to this person or what shall i try to say to this person and what advice would you give because obviously you're the therapist and so she'll say well maybe say this or maybe suggest that and in that moment i thought well i wonder if i could put a psychotherapist in an app and so that was the idea for my second business happy not perfect which was this idea of how do i put a therapist in an app because so many people don't have the confidence to go to therapy, especially in 2015, mm -hmm. um, it's expensive. And also often you need to talk to your therapist at the moments when you can't get hold of them, like 3 a.m. in the morning. It's quite inaccessible really, yeah. Yeah, it is. And 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 again, like the UK is way behind in therapy culture to the US, America kind of people had therapists and it was as, as normal as personal trainers. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, teamed up with the neuroscience department to look at how we could gamify psychotherapy in a digital format. And I was, you know, I look back and I was so young, I was like was 25. So, was such a humongous beast of a project to kind of take on at that age and stage. And I think it's like that naive optimism that you yeah. have at 25. Which is great. Where you're like, I, I, I just didn't know what would go wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this is amazing like this is going to be great and at that point nobody was setting up businesses no, I wasn't able even to say mental health in a in a pitch meeting to an investor wow. because they immediately you know my investors who I bizarrely found these investors who wanted to invest in a 25 year old and one of the reasons they went to America was because I remember thinking nobody nobody in England is going to take me seriously because I because of your age no because I found that in I found that English culture people and it's changed, I think, a lot now. But people are hesitant to accept you as somebody different to when to how they first met you. Yeah, I know that. And I was the TV reporter. I was the mm -hmm. person that interviewed people and like giggled and fell off her chair and everything went wrong yeah. and like Bridget Jones. And that was your lane. So in the UK, it's kind of like you can't step out of that. Whereas the US, one of the brilliant aspects of it is like, you can be whatever you want to be, you know? Yeah. And so there's a lot more opportunity within that. As You know, even now, it is really difficult for women to raise venture capital. Yeah. I think it's still only 2% of venture capital goes to women founders. Mm -hmm. And so to go to a first time founder who had no experience apart from hosting a talk show on an app. I mean, that would have just been ridiculous. People would have laughed me out the room. But in America, everybody was like, oh, if that's what you wanna do, this actually looks like a good idea, let's go. And so I started building this app, but I guess kind of the irony was, it made me so unmentally well building it mm. because I was so overwhelmed. I made so many terrible decisions and it was, yeah, it was a real journey. So um, to talk about Saturn return, like that, my yeah. Saturn return kind of framed this time of 
launching because I launched a fashion company called Pop and Suki the year before then I launched this mental health company and then I launched my own podcast and while I was launching everything at the same time there were so many things dying and and I actually ended up in hospital with chronic fatigue and burnout um and yeah and that's kind of like what brought me home to kind of rebuild yeah okay I want to talk about that but bringing it back for a second because you you mentioned your mum was a psychotherapist how much did that play a role in you wanting to do this kind of work because you because you must have had that experience growing up where you probably communicated with your mum or she communicated with you in a way that was very different from I guess the norm right yeah so I think that's probably why I was so fortunate to be so ahead on yeah. terms of you know being very familiar with mental health and you the know language my, and the language my father was has been meditating for 30 years my mother was a Reiki healer when we were 11 so even growing up we saw energy healing we would see our animals be energy healed by my mother suddenly we'd have you know the parrot that would fall asleep because my mother's hands would go near it oh, so she's a healer as much as a yeah so very into sort of holistic wellness yes so we grew up they were almost like new age hippies but would never uh, ever admit that or I wouldn't I wouldn't even say now that they would now more so I think they've been comfortable with kind of going yeah I guess we are a bit hippie-ish because it's it's different now as in people it's far more you know encouraged or invited now whereas like you say probably when you were growing how did you find it as a child with parents like that well so my father suffered from chronic mental health so in a way it was it wasn't a choice it was completely necessary and um and my mother was a physiotherapist and so I remember when she swapped and she was teaching us at the same time saying you know I look at all these bodies and I see these hurt backs and I see these tied muscles and I've started to realize that all of this is a manifestation of people's mental health and these emotional traumas that they've gone through. So I'm going to retrain as a psychotherapist. Mm. And I th- and my father was an entrepreneur and it was really up and down, like, you know, one year the company would do well, one year it wouldn't. And for some reason as children, we were deeply aware. We knew everything that was going on. And so that was really unstable for us. So I think we've always had like a family that have worried. And so I think my mother's, she really kind of like her duty was like okay guys we're gonna look after our mental health I can't have all these like three deeply anxious children at the age of eight worrying about their father's business and so they were always really open to kind of all these different like new therapies and so I think that's kind of one of the reasons that I was even though my two brothers now they're open to it but they don't really kind of practice it um it was so central to the family Mm -hmm. and and also entrepreneurship it sounds like yeah yeah it was it was like go give it a go go set up something go build and and I think that's like you know that was all like the light side and then I think also what we learned from our parents which was one should be working all the time even Mm -hmm. though they have always been like poppy stop working you're such a workaholic stop working stop working like where did I get it where did I get it from (laughs) yeah because it was this it was that kind of you know pretty subtle messaging that I think we all took on which was just work harder, just work harder. And um, I think that's probably what ended up in suddenly building this mental health company, entrepreneurship, but then resulted in like complete chronic exhaustion. So at that point in LA, when you started the company, it was going well. What was that kind of process like to recognizing that you were on the verge of burnout or at that point? Was it like a slow thing or did it kind of... Was it LA I find it was a really hard place and it's still now a difficult place I find. I was there a month ago and I just... like going back? Um, It definitely is easier, but I do think LA in a nutshell celebrates everything that is in in some ways like so deeply superficial about the world. Mm. And I think that, I mean... I wouldn't say I'm like totally healed because it's a dream, deeply triggering place in many ways because it's so obvious in the you're worthy, you're not worthy um, type of kind of th- the way they treat people. Well, beauty is a commodity and fame is like a religion. And that's kind of like, I feel like when you go there, whatever conversation you're kind of eavesdropping on, you can feel this sort of sense that people will be discarded if they're not 
valued in that way. And that go is so deeply rooted in the sort of entertainment industry and, and Hollywood, which I do think, yeah, it doesn't like almost, I went back and it was, it felt like a place where you're not like allowed to age and stuff like that. Do you know what I mean? So I, I can definitely relate to that experience. And also it's so separated and so lonely. I was, you know, yeah. spent six hours in a car and it started to make me realize how much I appreciate walking cities, oh which sounds like such a small thing. And it took me a while to recognize that actually, because I was like, why do I feel so isolated and lonely here? And actually it is that it's like just to go anywhere or see anyone you have to get in a car. So you feel this disconnection all the time and that's one of the things I love most about London is just being able to potter around and just go to a different part of town and go over to see someone so walking is also so central for your mental health as well right I'm obsessed I'm obsessed I'm obsessed with walking it's like my meditation it's the first thing I do when I wake up um it, I, I often probably walk before I go to bed as well I find walking yeah I remember you saying that that the first thing you do is get up and walk yeah the first thing I do more than morning and, and to be honest more than morning pages more than meditating if I do not get up and just see daylight and move my body it really affects me mentally so that's like your number one kind of mental health. Number one. And, 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 you know, there's lots of science kind of reinforcing why that's important because often so many of us are deficient in vitamin D and we don't realize it. And it's because we spend so much of our time on desks inside, obviously, because most of us have, you know, office jobs on a laptop or whatever. And so it means that we aren't exposed to any sort of daylight and it doesn't even need to be sunny in order for you to kind of be able to receive that vitamin D. And also then being integrated into your body I find that if you so if you're someone who dreams a lot and I have such an overactive imagination and just an active subconscious that I need to reconnect with my body when as soon as I wake up mm -hmm. otherwise my energy can be so out of sorts and my brain can run away with me and so just the practice of walking like reconnects me. I'm able to shake off any sort of kind of stress or tense thoughts or anything that's kind of arisen. Um, and I'm back in regulation within half an hour. Interesting. Because I actually go through phases of doing it, but I, I recognize how much it impacts me, but it just feels like such a simple thing. But London doesn't always cater for it because it rains a lot. Do you just walk regardless? Yeah, I walk in the rain. I walk, I put a cap on, raincoat on, and I'll be in the pouring rain, even if it's freezing cold, and and your fingers are like practically falling off. I'll still be walking. Now, I'm dedicated. To I'm it. so dedicated because it make it, it is the difference between a good day and a bad day for me. Wow. And to kind of bring it back, because I've gone on a bit of a detour yeah. with that, but in terms of like that feeling that you got in LA and was finding it difficult what brought on was it a rock bottom I mean it was such a rock bottom um and it was my health health that gave way first and how did that manifest terrible digestion okay. and so it was a year of really bad digestion like to the point where I was constantly bloated and my best friend would be like yeah you like you aren't re and I would, I would keep saying I'm, I'm so bloated I'm so bloated and so I then would start thinking that it's because of what I was eating mm -hmm. so, so you know I went dairy free when I did full LA essentially orthorexia I would read something I would then diagnose myself as well I must be intolerant to that yeah and just and to define for those that don't know orthorexia is when you become like obsessive over eating healthy right yes because I had all these digestion problems so I thought mm -hmm. oh it must be because, you know, I'm I'm eating nuts or I'm eating gluten or I'm eating wheat or I'm eating dairy or I'm, you know, and after a while I, I was basically thinking I was eating nothing that was going to be inflammatory, inverted commas. And I was still so, 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 un I mean, I looked like I was about four months pregnant. I was so bloated and it was so uncomfortable because clothes are uncomfortable. It's really like uncomfortable sitting. And that was the first sign. I'd call up my mom, I'd be like, you know, so bloated and she'd say you know I just think you should maybe slow down a bit 
And I'm thinking to myself, I can't slow down. What are you talking about? I had a fashion company. I was building this mental health company. I was deeply overwhelmed. I was learning how to build a tech team. I was learning for the first time how to design an app. I was writing science content. I was trying to get basically a PhD at the same time. And at the same time, obviously I was 27, 28, 29, like desperately single, thinking that I need to be in a relationship, also need to have friends and and anniversary commas, have fun. And my body completely broke and I was so ill, so poorly. And I remember taking myself to hospital because I didn't know what else to do. I was like, I'm st- I, this is just unbearable pain. And- um, That was mainly digestive. Digestive and then it like, and then it went everywhere. I was like aches, pains, could barely walk, like throbbing headache, like couldn't really speak because at this point I then had strep throat on top of this. I just remember lying there in this hospital being like, oh God, how did I get here? And that was when I started to realize that all of these angst and pains were just such a reflection of this really messy mental health that I'd got myself into because I was, even though I was writing all of it and thinking all of it through to help other people, I wasn't practicing it. And, you weren't embodying it. No. Yeah. And that's when I realized you can know everything about wellness. You can know everything about mental health, but if you're not doing the work, it doesn't really matter. That's so true. That's so true. And I think that's it's probably worse than ever now in terms of a lot of people preaching, but not necessarily practicing, right? Yeah. And then I was quite embarrassed because I thought, oh, well, God. yeah, because you kind of, your face was attached to this brand. They were so intertwined. <laughs> and you're like in hospital, like <laughs> having a sort of breakdown here. That yeah. must have been I was quite... like, this is so mortifying. I was like, I can't tell anyone. This is so embarrassing. Which then adds a layer of shame, which makes it worse and probably made you feel sicker, right? Yeah. So bad. And uh, yeah. And then I had to laugh. And I had like a friend of mine who was a comedy writer. He was like, she's Australian. <laughs> she was she's like, like, this is hilarious. <laughs> the wellness founder who was unwell. And I was like, oh, great. You were like, wonderful. <laughs> It's a disaster. And then what happened? Life had to change. Life really yeah. had to change. And um and this is this is you know why your book resonated so much with me because um it was my Saturn return. Like it was, you know, Saturn came in and it just went poof. Um and I moved from LA, I moved to New York because I thought naturally New York was gonna be the I LA was the problem. <laughs> it wasn't me. <laughs> <laughs> it's because it's the environment <laughs> i tried that many it times it, was it wasn't me i was not the problem um so i'm gonna move to new york because obviously that is where all my solutions lie and i obviously got to new york and and it was slightly better because i think actually i had that like movement walking piece but it wasn't long before look walking is amazing but it's not gonna so you know it's not yeah. gonna solve everything and then and then the world kind of took over. It was like that kind of Saturnian um, influence basically said, well, if you're not going to change, we are going to change all of this for you. And so Pop and Suki, which was the fashion company I had. And at this point, I was traveling between LA and New York. I do basically half the week in one, half the week in the other. And timeline, we're now in. We're kind of now in 2018. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and on the surface, it looked so glam. I'd get so many messages being like, wow, you're live, because it would just yeah. be. I mean, I remember coming to one of the parties in LA and I was oh like, my, oh my God, this is unbelievable. <laughs> I have to say that was a great party. <laughs> that was a really, remember I mean, the side? <laughs> that was fab. I mean, to kind of, it was a classic LA, just how people imagine it to be in the movies, like pool, beautiful <laughs> people, you know, drinks. And I was like, oh my God, Poppy is fucking made it. Yeah, I, <laughs> and then you're oh like, I'm having a breakdown. <laughs> so all of that was happening simultaneously. Yeah, God, I remember God, that, that just... so clearly. Like we had this fabulous party, like everyone in Hollywood came and behind the scenes it had been like a bit of a disaster because we'd filmed this brand film that had gone so horribly wrong that this this the one dr- with the car the old car and stuff yeah with the old car because we'd a director had been hired and this brand was all about celebrating female friendship you know Suki was my best friend in the entire world still is and so it was you know Pop and Suki was was you know a manifestation of my heart I loved the brand so much anyway so we we agreed to do this brand film 
and we started filming it. And I said, well, what's the storyline for the brand film? And the, the director said, well, you're going to kill your best friend. <laughs> said, you're like, do you know what this brand is about? That's what I said. I was like, um, do you know what this brand's about? It's like best friend brand. It's like pastel pink. I just think this like dark storyline that I kill my best friend is not really the vibe. <laughs> honestly, I can hear your friend who's in comedy being like, this is genius like that whole scene of you being like um no i don't really want to kill her it's like i don't and so and, and he's like trust my artistic vision yeah. <laughs> right this was way before even the me too movement happened when suddenly like female founders wouldn't necessarily have this like deeply male director kind of like bringing his kind of yeah girls kill each other kind of <laughs> and have sex at the yeah. same time <laughs> Honestly, the video the video opens with me <laughs> killing someone while I'm having sex with them. Like, it, it was so... I'm thinking about it now. Oh, my gosh. It was so bizarre, the whole thing. And because I was so stressed with everything going on, I remember I was completely unhinged. Talk about kind of stress just not helping you have balanced conversations that delivers your point in a calm way and it resolves it instead I had a meltdown I start screaming like, you know this is ridiculous I mean I'm so embarrassed even thinking back at it oh my gosh and this again the face of mental health and I'm screaming <laughs> And I'm screaming. I'm having a full-on meltdown. I'm so cancerian that I'll feel and I will just explode. And then I'll go into deep shame and guilt. Well, I should never have said that. I'm now sending apology letters. I'm writing emails at 2 a.m. Apologizing. I should never have communicated like that. Um, and Suki has always... The reason why we get on so well, she is just so calm in a crisis. And she has seen me just dissolve what star and sign is Suki? she's capricorn okay and she's so amazing at <laughs> just bringing me back to center and so then we had this huge party that you came to and on the surface it was just fabulous and the projector had broken the whole film had completely dissolved and the brand had still paid for it so we had to cobble together <laughs> some sort of music video <laughs> oh god it was cool <laughs> thanks babe it was a disaster it was a disaster <laughs> well, probably it was better than you having sex and killing your best friend we ended up having I mean, to i want to see where that film's got i know i'm going to send it to you afterwards we ended up dancing on the beach as as a kind of an ending because i refused to kill her but yeah that's it but it's just so it's so funny i mean my the outside reality couldn't have been more different from what was actually happening. So you had that going on, then you're in New York, but yeah. you're kind of... I'm in New York and then uh, and then our co-founder decided to sell Pop and Suki. Mm -hmm. And we also had signed contracts way back when where we didn't have any control of the business basically. So we learned a ton of really hard life lessons about contracts, how you set up companies. We oh, so Saturnian. Oh, and so the company was sold without us having any consent over it. And so that felt like we were we were losing our names. Yeah. And that was really tough. Um, and then out of nowhere, um, somebody asked to actually acquire Happy Not Perfect. So out of nowhere, I kind of had put all my energy into these businesses and which were like your babies which were my babies and then basically they were being sold off and you know on the surface that's great every founder wants an exit and you know on paper it does it, it's amazing we, I was able to sell two companies um but the emotional journey of that it was in the middle of the pandemic I came back to London and just kind of um dissolved into a heap really which was harder sort of letting go of I think Pop and Suki actually was really hard to let go of because Happy Not Perfect had a really happy ending because because the app that I'd built was being able to be given to 90 million teachers, parents and students. And so I felt that that had the ending I wanted it to have because the only reason I set up Happy Not Perfect was to 
share emotional health education and bring cognitive behavioral therapy to more people science-based tools and science-based tools and so I was so happy that that had just had this you know it felt like my baby had gone to nursery you know it was suddenly going to be shared and um and it really found the most amazing home but I think Pop and Suki was sad because a I'd like I guess had half my name in it and it was something I shared with like the, you know the, and I remember reading your book about the power of female friendships mm-hmm. you know it's been like one, one of my greatest loves of my life you know my best friendship and so it kind of felt sad in some ways that we weren't going to work together in that way again because we can laugh at those moments when Poppy popped off at the director about killing her best friend and you know and and those parties actually they were hilarious yeah. um so it just felt a real end of an era and also I had overly attached my identity to both of them so I suddenly thought had to really grapple with who was I without all of these things if you say looking back one of those big moments and find you know coming back to London finding your feet here having to establish like healthier foundations what would you say is one of your biggest lessons and learnings from that experience to do with Saturn return um gosh uh so many learnings um some sad learnings which don't sound overly positive because I think I had such a rosy rose-tinted glasses kind of attitude about the world so I think my Saturn return told me actually to kind of be slightly less trusting the fact that I signed all these contracts and I just thought no one's gonna (laughs) screw me over what are you talking about and I remember when I was first raising capital people would ask me to be on my board and if anyone has a company, you'll know that board seats are really delicate because you're going to have to work with that person pretty much forevermore. And they have a huge impact and influence on your business. And I generally thought that it was like inviting more people to a party. I was like, <laughs> yeah, like the board seats. Come on, add another one. Join in. But the thing is, how would you know? And this is what's so hard for, you know, I think especially women in business, it's not just women, but particularly because we don't have the sort of same networking or conversations about this stuff. And I think a lot of people presume that everyone knows and you go into it and you don't necessarily want to ask or seem silly. So you're just kind of navigating it blindly and therefore inevitably you're going to make mistakes along the way. Yeah. And I don't, you know, I I think that I probably didn't ask for help when I should have asked for help. I kind of, I almost had too much trust in people. And, um, and then I had to learn my main lesson, I had to learn how to rest. And understanding that rest and sleep is the foundation for all health and this this compulsion to be busy is so conditioned into so much of us and yet I used to have so much guilt if I didn't feel exhausted by the end of the day because I thought oh well I could have done more I could have worked harder and actually I've had to really decondition this idea of working harder is not smarter working longer doesn't necessarily mean better work great ideas can sometimes come when you're walking in the middle of the rain. Walking is the best for inspiration and ideas. The best, the best. And and life can't be as quantifiable as I was making it out to be. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, and about a million, a million others, but um, I would say those two were quite pivotal. I feel now more than ever, I don't know about you, maybe it's always been the case, but it feels just more present to me at the moment that things are sort of speeding up and because we are digitally more connected than ever a lot of people working from home but rather than that mean oh I have more time to just chill out it's like I'm going to work until I close my laptop and then I'm going to go straight to eat whilst watching tv whilst on my phone while sending emails because nothing really turns off anymore because everyone's kind of going at this rat race and it you do feel kind of I mean, I always find it when I get sick and I got sick recently, that forces me to slow down, but I feel so uncomfortable about it that I'm like, everything's gonna fall apart. And I think especially when you do run your own business and a lot of it is kind of spinning plates that you feel like they're all gonna fall. So how have you kind of learned to combat that now? I think through um, really simple daily practices and to be constantly reminded of what I want to unlearn. Mm -hmm. Um, 
because it is so easy for me to be inverted commas busy and it's so easy for me to to move into workaholic mode I have to constantly listen to it's like a spiritual practice I think is actually learning because you know for my podcast I interview a lot of authors and um, you have to do a lot of research I've got to do a lot of research and that's actually a spiritual practice it's it's constantly being um, having my most interesting dinner party through podcasts so even if I haven't seen like that many friends I actually find that listening to podcasts feels to me like I've just had dinner with a really yeah. interesting friend and I love that. so that's really I mean I, I I know you've had her on your podcast but I just read Elise Lunan's mm-hmm. new book it's honestly one of the best books I've ever read she's um, sending it to me I cannot wait to read it it's genuinely I think every woman especially should read it because she goes into the history of how women have been conditioned in the way they have been. And when I read her- The Seven Deadly Sins. The Seven Deadly Sins. When I read her book, it gave so much clarity to, I think, what I am unlearning, which is, you know- particularly? If there was I one think, thing you had to So plan. one of her said, seven, seven Deadly Sins is sloth. This idea of like, you know, we cannot be lazy. We've always got to be doing. I, I mean, all of them might deeply relate. Even um, one thing that's, that stands out that we, that we, that we talk about is um, she really encourages to understand that anger is just an expression of our needs not being met or not being heard. So rather than saying like, I'm just feeling so frustrated about this, it's actually saying I'm feeling frustrated because I feel my needs are not being met by I mean, I'm an I'm an emotional person, but I would say that all the spiritual practice I've done and the flexible I have um, I wrote a book all around flexible thinking, and all these science backed tips I really do engage with have enabled my recovery time post like triggering moments to be a lot quicker. So I still feel emotional about things, but I'm able to recover so much quicker now than and I regulate ever and- yeah ever have been before. Would you say that was something you struggled with before? Yeah, I could stay in, in an emotion space. for a lot longer, mm-hmm. which which would, you know, it's it's so tiring for me, uh, but also so tiring for the people that I have to call up and kind of <laughs> process everything with. <laughs> Sorry for attacking you last night. I know it's 2 a.m. <laughs> yeah, or my poor mum, he's like, oh, what's poppy you know stressed about now um and so now i'm much better in morning pages something i mean i love journaling. julia cameron's work yeah I'm obsessed with her oh, if, although if anyone ever found them because it's like such i always get conscious about writing them because it's so it's just a stream of consciousness so it's mad right i i'm i, I left my diary at this random person's house i had a complete <laughs> Worst nightmare. That's my worst nightmare. Because you know that they're going to read it, right? I actually have a terrible story about actually what happened to me. Basically, I didn't have my journal, so I thought I'd just open the notes on my phone to kind of just. <laughs> Where is this going? Just, I'm just wondering whether I should even share it. Please share it. <laughs> I opened up the notes on my phone, and. I was in a, and I, I was just journaling and I think it was about, um, you know, being upset about a boy. And I then was in the conversation with the boy and we started to get on to this subject of, oh, you should, um, and we, sorry, I'm replaying this, the going like, oh, this is so embarrassing. <laughs> so we, we're in this conversation where we're talking about how random notes are and like how random it is <laughs> what you write in your notes and like if anybody read your notes like how weird it would be and like you know it wouldn't wouldn't make sense and so I said oh let's look at what we've written in our notes when do you ever say that in a conversation when do you ever say oh guys let's open our notes and I open this I open this note and it is mortifying because <laughs> everybody's reading like this deep diary when you entry. say everyone well it was like three people it was like three people it was three people it was like this guy <laughs> and these like two girls and they and i opened my photo but oh look at my notes <gasps> <laughs> I thought it's in person sorry, in person right? <laughs> and and my friend just squeezes my hand <laughs> 
<laughs> because everyone realizes that it is the most embarrassing diary entry note that anybody could read. And this and the person it's about and the person that's it. about is standing there. <laughs> Was it too late to kind of close? Oh, everybody had read it. Like <laughs> I, I just fr- I froze. I didn't even take the phone. I just completely froze, and I was just I was dying. I just wanted the earth to swallow me up. Being like, this is so mortifying. <laughs> and I then, then I put the phone down, and I thought, oh, what am I gonna do? <laughs> Do I explain this? Do I not? Do I explain that this is practice called morning pages? <laughs> no. <laughs> like, damn you, Julia Cameron. I'm not going to understand. <laughs> this is so embarrassing. And so we're all in silence for then a good couple of minutes. And we're watching this music show. So we're all just looking at the, at, 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 at the show. And I'm thinking to myself, everyone's thinking the same thing, which is, fuck. Like, poor Poppy. Like, this is so embarrassing. What did say? Well, it was going on about how... It was basically going on about kind of like how I liked this boy and he didn't like me back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my God, mortifying. And... Um, but that's quite sweet, though. Well, no, because then I have to explain to him that it wasn't really about him. I just said his name. <laughs> I just used your name because I needed to name this person someone. <laughs> yeah i was like i just used your name it was a projection this is all about the inner work um i i was so mortifying i was like i was actually trying to explain to somebody else like and i had to basically i just dig a hole and 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 i think we should talk about the fact that i don't fancy you and i i remember saying i said no no i know you don't i know you don't wait he said that to you yeah he said that to me oh no yeah that I is... said that's fine I know you don't I know you don't oh no that's awful that is awful I know I'm so I'm actually so <laughs> <laughs> and then you're like it's not about you anyway <laughs> this is not about you anyway this is like my internal conscious thoughts this is about me expressing my rejection and really healing from romantic rejection in the past did he did he buy it I guess <laughs> I well I mean all, let's we've... just hope he bought it <laughs> I think we've all got those stories and experiences. I don't think it's that bad. Imagine being told to your face, though, that like, he's like, I just don't fancy you. And I just sat there. I was, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> You're like, no, me neither. I don't fancy you either. <laughs> oh, my God, how mortifying. We've got, have you ever seen him again? Barely. Barely. Oh, no, this was years ago. Oh just God. pretend he does. I know. And let's hope he doesn't listen to your podcast. <laughs> exactly. So, for example, I wouldn't have recovered from that for ages. So I was so mortified for weeks on end. Whereas now, if that happened, and actually a similar event did happen, and I just had a giggle. Like, I could just laugh at the just hilarity of life. And what do you think that's a result of? Truly. So something I write about a lot is this idea of flexible thinking and and this idea that, you know, our thoughts are malleable and our feelings are malleable and understanding that. And uh, I interviewed a woman uh, called Dr. Joan Rosenberg, who actually scientifically found that our emotions last 90 seconds and they come in 90 second waves. And so when we start to realize that our emotions are just waves and actually there are kind of interventions that um, that, that are open to all of us, like breath work, like moving the body, dancing. I dance a lot and I'm not a good dancer at all. This is like unskilled dancing kind of in the kitchen type stuff. And then this idea of, well, I have a choice on the perspective I want to take on this. And, you know, when you really boil down what is therapy, therapy is a practice where you're able to explore different perspectives that that you could take on the same situation Mm. and we so often jump into assumption mode where we assume you know take that scenario I just assumed that he would think I was this really embarrassing girl but I'm sure he just felt a bit sorry for me and actually well he was like really flattered already very sweet yeah exactly but you know the age of 29 I just wouldn't I couldn't I really struggled to get to get to that perspective because I was so engrossed in my own self-shame and blame and guilt 
Mm-hmm. And so flexible thinking is this idea of like, oh, it's all so malleable. Our reality is so malleable. And where we place our attention is 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 often actually within our control. And what do I want to focus on and what do I want? And I um I explored a lot of um I explored a lot in the uh, field of psychosynthesis, which is a really interesting kind of subset of psychology. It's an approach to psychology that really focuses on the supraconscious as much as the subconscious. So Freud and a lot of therapy can often say, let's go back, let's go back to your childhood, let's go look at kind of these let's look at pattern matching, which is really often what the, the self-work is about to begin with. And then the supraconscious is understanding that yes you are all the experiences that you've gone through but you are also your hopes wishes and dreams and your hopes wishes and dreams also make up your psyche Mm. and then you've got the transpersonal which is the collective consciousness and then all of this built together means that we are constantly in flux and in flow and so knowing how to get back to alignment which is kind of a for me like an energetic frequency it often is like through the body first and then using these kind of like compassion exercises gratitude exercises role model exercises whereby you know I think about you know three people that inspire me greatly and I I think to myself well what would they do in this situation and so it's a way to stretch consistently stretch my perspective rather than getting stuck on what I think I know about a situation and and kind of going into that loop which then kind of starts spiraling quite quickly yeah because you you mentioned from you know there's obviously this theme that you experienced you know before and during your Saturn return of kind of being a bit of a workaholic really did you find that you your sense of self-worth was wrapped into that yeah I think that I had such low confidence in many ways I think that it it was it was wrapped up in perfectionism I think Mm -hmm. that's where happy not perfect came from that I felt that I really needed to be perfect in order to live the life that I wanted to live. So I think that I, I think romantic rejection in my teenage years had such a, had left such wounds that I thought, well, I must be super successful, a certain size if I was ever going to be loved and be able to have a family and be able to have children. Which I think is such a relatable thing. Yeah. But it's so sad that we feel that way, do you know what I mean? Because then you actually take yourself out of the position of being open to it because you're constantly telling yourself, no, I can only have that when. Yeah, and I was single for pretty much like seven, eight, nine years. As a result 20s. of that. Yeah, yeah, because I worked all around the clock. I'd get up at, I, when I moved to New York, I lived with these two lovely, gorgeous girls. And I would get up at six, I'd get up before they woke up because I thought, oh, I can't even, I can't even have breakfast with them because I can't waste half an hour of the day. So I'd get up at six, I would go start working and I would come back at like 10, 11, after they'd gone to bed. And it was just, it was so sad. It was so sad. I actually look back on it, I'm like, it's so sad. And so there was no time for a relationship. And even if I went to a party, I was so exhausted. I could barely have a conversation with anyone. So I'd kind of go chat to a friend that I knew and then I would then I would leave. So your work now has really shifted to prioritizing rest, sleep, and part of the ethos of Unwind with Poppy. Is that really about that now? Yeah, this idea of like, what does it mean to unwind? What does it mean to allow ourselves to rest? end of huge focus for me is now sleep like what does it mean for us to prepare ourselves for sleep because I think that so often we switch ourselves we expect ourselves to work like light switches Mm -hmm. and we have a really busy day and then we lie down we go okay I'm ready to sleep now as Mm -hmm. if our body is being on the phone yeah after being after scrolling after watching some crime drama and we just love (laughs) it my boyfriend's like how can you watch this before you go to bed I'm like (laughs) <laughs> I did have a dream about a murdering clown the other night so I was like maybe I need to tone down the crime stuff <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but I know a lot of dreams. people do really struggle with sleep I think probably now more than ever in many ways because of the screen time and all of the stuff that you just mentioned yeah it's it, it, I mean some of the statistics are crazy about 70% of people don't get enough sleep and sleep is the bedrock for our entire health so if we haven't slept, we aren't even able to function. We're not even able to do all the things that we want to do. We're not able to, you know, what, I would never ever scream at a director now. Mm. I would not like, because I'm well slept and I'd be able to still approach 
a situation that needed to be mended, but in a completely different way because sleep gives you choice. Mm. When you're sleep deprived, you are so overactivated. Your parasympathetic, your sympathetic nervous state, the rest, the um, fight or flight state, is so easily triggered that we l- lose autonomy autonomy of yeah. of how we want to communicate of our emotions and actually sleep is the it's not only the bedrock for actual health our immune system our digestion our, the cellular body but um for our mental health it is like the number one foundation if we want to have good mental health and yet it's something we don't prioritize i mean i think we all know how it feels when you haven't slept properly and the world just feels like a different place and everything feels unmanageable but I've always been quite a good sleeper fortunately so it's really good very lucky so for anyone that's going through either their Saturn return or feeling like they're in a rock bottom or perhaps experiencing something similar with business what would your advice be slow down every decision you know what to do deep down you know what to do I completely lost trust in my intuition asking Com- everyone and I asked yeah. everybody yeah, I, yeah. chronically and actually it was only when I slowed down can you even listen to what you what your intuition, what your is, intuition is. is yeah yeah it's so true and so much I didn't even validate my intuition there's so many decisions that even when I was deeply inexperienced at 27 I knew were wrong mm. you know how we structured the company like it should never have been this kind of UK top co, US subsidiary, d- deeply complicated, like legal, even though I didn't even understand it. I knew that that shouldn't have been set up in that way. And yet I discredited, my, discredited myself thinking, oh, well, I'm just not experienced enough. So other people know, know better. better. And nobody knows better. Your therapist doesn't know better about your emotional health and your your friends don't know better about your relationships and business advisors often don't know better about your business. I think it's important to listen, but also hold it loosely and really investigate the advice that you're given for yourself. Because I think I lost my way because I I'd stopped listening to myself. I just was taking different advice from different people. And it's like a cake. If you take an ingredient from everybody, it's not going to be a very, not nice be very delicious. I love that. I think that's such powerful advice. And it also really reminds me of the conversation I had with Elise, which was this kind of idea about not subcontracting your authority, which is such a tough Saturn Returns lesson, but such a worthwhile one when you come out the other side. So thank you so much for sharing that. And Poppy, thank you very much for joining me on the Saturn Returns podcast. I have loved this conversation. <laughs> it's been so fun to have you. Oh my God, I'm still giggling. <laughs> just just oh, embarrassing notes and directors asking me to kill my best friend. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> I think it's so relatable though. People are going to love it. So thank you. Thanks. Thank you for sharing. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Saturn Returns. I hope you found it useful. And if you did, I would love it if you could share it with a friend or write us a review or share it on social media, whatever one floats your boat, because that helps us get discovered by more like-minded people. So thank you very much again. And thank you, Poppy, for joining me. And as always, remember, you are not alone. Goodbye. Goodbye.